It's been said that in the Christian life, you're either entering a storm, in the middle of a storm, or just coming out of a storm. While it's possible for pilots to reroute if conditions are too dangerous, and it's possible for us to escape physical storms by either taking cover or relocating, I'm convinced that it's impossible to escape the storms of life, especially if we're Christians. Trials, troubles, stresses, bodily pains, persecutions, sicknesses, abuses, sufferings, and evil of all kinds will come our way. Especially for us who love Jesus, we can be sure that we won't escape these storms of life. Our Savior didn't, and we won't. A servant is not greater than his master. One of the last things Jesus said to his disciples before the cross was this. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the Lord of all speaking, who created and controls all things, who even in his life in this earth, on this earth, stilled and calmed a storm. He's telling his followers that trouble is definite in this life. He endured great troubles himself, and so will we who follow him. But as believers, we face these troubles with a different perspective and power than those who don't believe, right? Those who don't love Jesus think differently about the troubles around them. And as you read the Bible, you'll see repeatedly and in unashamed terms that suffering and troubles are one of God's laboratories or his workshops to test his people's hearts. And God doesn't apologize for this. In fact, the one who controls all things is the one who even creates the storms in our lives for his good purposes. Isaiah 45, verses 6 to 7 says, this is God speaking. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So nothing in our life or in history happens by chance or coincidence. No, not even the storms in our life. Our loving Lord is in control of all of these things too. And though we won't escape troubles just because we're believers, God mercifully puts an end to them when he decides, doesn't he? We believers will uh, not experience suffering forever. That's something we can be sure of. But in this life, there will be storms of life, and we will learn much about ourselves through the storms. We learn that we're weaker and more sinful than we thought. And we learn that God is more merciful and powerful than we thought. He comes near to us. He intervenes for us and preserves us in our suffering, in our storm. He does this because he cares. And because he has his priorities straight. 
While we may prioritize convenience or comfort for our life, God brings stop uh, God brings and stops the storms in our lives because his priorities for us is this character development Christ likeness he wants us to become more like Christ and he knows that this character grows best in and through the storms of life that's the environment where Christ likeness is built so today I'd like to speak to those of you who are coming out of a storm Because Psalm 116 is written by a person who has just come through a storm. And I hope his words give us language and vocabulary for the times that we're coming out of the storm. In this text, you'll hear the personal testimony of someone who has experienced God's mercy and salvation. And he responds with specific thanksgiving for specific mercies in his specific storm of life. It's a psalm that celebrates answered prayer through hardships. Now, lest you think that this text doesn't apply to you because you aren't through all the storms in your life yet, I think all believers can apply this psalm to themselves. And here's how. Have you, believer, experienced the Lord's mercy during a trial in your life? Has he ever rescued you from any sort of trouble? If you're a Christian, start with the way the Lord saved your soul. He is just and the justifier of all who believe in Jesus. He saw you in the misery of your sin and he showered his saving mercy on you through Jesus. So as believers... Every one of us has experienced the saving mercies and particular graces of God when we believed in Christ. The day you turned to God and trusted in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was a day that you came out of the greatest storm in your life. The storm was called living under the wrath of God, alienated from Him because of your unbelief and your sin. But now, believer... You can give thanks because God has delivered you and showered you with mercies in Christ. And beyond that great salvation, fellow believer, I'm sure you can pinpoint and testify that God has in his kindness rescued you in many other ways. Well, if you've experienced God's deliverance and mercy in the storms of your life, then recall those troubled moments for a minute here. Recall those troubles for a moment. Think for a second about the specifics of your pain. Maybe you were abandoned by your parents at a young age. Maybe you suffered a terribly dark bout of depression. Maybe you have chronic illness or chronic fatigue. It's not the size of the storm or the troubles that matter most. It's the fact that no matter how big or small those troubles were, since you belong to the Lord, you can be sure that he cared and cares about you in your troubles. He will not leave you high and dry in your trouble, though others might. Do you remember the relief you felt when God answered your cries and brought relief to your heart? Maybe you could hardly pray, but God knew what you needed before you asked. Keep those details in your mind during the sermon. Maybe even make a note of them in your bulletin, 
Because Psalm 116 gives you specific words from Scripture which say in many ways, Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer and showing me mercy and delivering me from my specific storm. So join your heart to these words today and let your heart be filled with gratitude for the many ways God has been merciful to you. Today I'd like to pastor you through a text that has been pastoring me. And the theme of this text is, thank you Lord for mercifully hearing my desperate prayer and delivering me from evil. Thank you Lord. We're saying thank you Lord for graciously intervening in the details of our lives. So today we're going to see how believers express gratitude for the ways the Lord has saved them from evil. Let's pray first. Our Father in heaven, we know without a doubt in this crowd there are people who feel forgotten. There are people who feel Like the storms of life are just beating them down. And maybe they don't even say it at church because they're not really comfortable or they don't feel safe to share these delicate truths with people. But Lord, you see each one here. You know their hearts. You see what they're going through. And I pray that each one of us would have a heart-to-heart with you today. That we would come back to you and return to you and get close to you again and that your scripture would speak life and hope into our situations. Guide us closer to Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing we see in our text is that believers express gratitude for the ways the Lord has saved them from evil because he heard and saved us. Look at verse 1. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Here here are words that jump off the page, don't they? The person who penned these words starts right away by expressing his love for God. And he, like us, only loves God because God first loved him. Here's a theme that is in the very heart of Christianity. That those who are truly saved are people who at their core love God. At the very core of their being, they are lovers of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They have received His love and they want to extend His love to others. Though the Christian life is easier said than done, the Christian life at its core is receiving and reciprocating God's love. And the psalmist says, he loves the Lord because he heard his voice and pleas for mercy. He heard his cries for desperation. Cries of desperation. He sees and hears his people. This is what this tells us about the Lord. He sees and hears his people in their misery and in their suffering. And rather than walk away, he's drawn to them. He inclines his ear to them. And this Goodness and mercy that God extends to his people is surely something that you've experienced if you belong to him. So let me ask you, do you belong to the Lord? Are you a believer? One of the best ways to know is to honestly answer this question. 
Do you love the Lord truly from the heart? Do you love the Lord like the psalmist does here? If you're not sure, don't assume you do. Instead, start by reading the Gospel of John and see for yourself what kind of loving God the God of the Scriptures is. Fill your eyes and your heart with His love and see if you can say with the psalm writer, I love the Lord. I trust you'll find that He's far more loving and merciful than you ever imagined. And if you don't, sorry, if you do belong to Him, doesn't His mercy in answering your desperate prayers make you want to call on Him? And live for him as long as you live. That's how this person responds in verse 2. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Now let's look at verse 3. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Here we take a closer look at the trouble that this person was facing. Death had set traps for him, and the grave almost had him in a death grip. Trouble was outside, and stress and agony was inside of him. It seemed like there was no way to escape the trouble and anguish he was stuck in. He felt trapped. Have you ever felt like that? Trapped. What's the anguish you're facing today? What's the stress and the storm you're going through? What have you suffered? What are you suffering? Was there ever a time when your trouble was so serious and so desperate you didn't feel safe anywhere? You didn't feel you could tell anybody because they wouldn't understand. You felt like death was at every corner. You have a person who I believe can relate in this psalm. Watch what happens next. In the midst of feeling like they're trapped and there's death at every corner, verse 4, Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Here's the prayer that God answered. Here's the reason this man is so thankful in this song. Because in the stress, suffering, and storm of his life, all he could do was say, Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. No eloquence here. No long paragraph prayer. This is a one shot. Deliver my soul. A similar prayer for us would be, Lord Jesus, save me. Help. The stress was so great that all he could do was muster up a couple weak words of desperation. But the Lord is mighty to save. And what happened? What's the point of this psalm? The Lord answered him. The Lord delivered. The Lord rescued. The Lord saved. Now, fellow believer, insert your trouble. Make it personal. Can you testify that you too, like the psalm writer here, called on the name of the Lord in the storm of your life and he answered you with mercy? What was the situation? Can you testify? The name of the Lord. We call on the name of the Lord and he answered us in mercy. 
What is the name of the Lord? The name of the Lord represents all the qualities of God, the attributes of God. To call on the name of the Lord is to call on the very person of the Lord. Just as when we're wounded, we cry for relief, maybe for our, from our parents or whoever's in the house. So when we face the storms of our life, we're to cry and run to the Lord to rescue us. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. So brother and sister in Christ, I don't know the details of your distress. God knows. You know. But take those details to him right now. Write them in your bulletin. If you sense your weakness and desperation right now, you're going through a storm, you seem to be trapped, set for you at every turn. It's not looking good. You're trapped. It's a good time to follow verse 4 by faith and to repeat the words to the Lord, Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Deliver my soul. And watch next what we learn about this God. As we entrust ourselves to him, watch what we learn about this gracious, merciful God. Verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. Here the psalmist is recalling the name of the Lord. And when we look at this passage, we see the, uh, the, the word Lord, L-O-R-D, all capitals, right? And that's a way English Bibles signal to us that the Hebrew name being referred to here is Yah, Yehovah, or Yahweh, right? Which is the name of the covenant-making, covenant-keeping Lord himself. To call on him is to call on the true and living and trustworthy God of the Bible. You are entrusting yourself with one who is absolutely trustworthy. So remember this. This is how the Lord revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. The psalmist seems to be meditating on the character of God here. Personalizing and internalizing who it was who showed him mercy. He may be overcome by the fact that this God has acted on his behalf. The gracious, righteous, merciful one has actually intervened in his life. In the details even. In the specifics. God has saved. That such a great and good God intervened in his life. Little life must have caused him to just stand in awe. Which leads us to verse 6, which says, The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. To think that this God has time for us. To think that though we are not the great people of history or even of our day, to think that though we are so little, he cares for us. Little believers rejoice that the Lord sees you, knows you, and loves you. Though the world may think you're nothing, though the world may think that you're simple, even stupid, and unimportant, 
Rejoice that the Lord preserves the simple and saves those who are brought low. He even stoops down to embrace us with his love. Be amazed again by his condescending love towards you. What's your story? I'm sure it's a story of how God has stooped down to embrace you with his love. If you're a believer, I know it's true. As Isaiah 57 15 says, Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. As Spurgeon says of this verse, I was brought low and he helped me. Simple though I was, the Lord did not pass me by. Though reduced in circumstances, slandered in character, depressed in spirit, and sick in body, the Lord helped me. There are many ways in which the child of God may be brought low, but the help of God is as various as the need of his people. He supplies our necessities when impoverished, restores our character when maligned, raises up friends for us when deserted, comforts us when desponding, and heals our diseases when we are sick. Can you testify? Oh, Christian, don't you see? You are rich. To have a personal relationship with this Lord by faith is riches and honor and life. Your suffering won't last forever. He will still the storm. Have you been humbled? Have you been tested? What storm have you come through? Don't despise this sore trial. Don't become embittered in your anguish. See it not as a waste of time, but as a lesson in faith, love, and wisdom. Suffering is not the time to walk away from our Lord. It's a time to cry out to Him. Grab hold of Him. Reach out. Plead His promises once again. Not with many words, but with honest ones like this. Lord, save me. It may feel like a desert right now, believer. But rest assured, He won't forsake you in the desert. In the storm. He will not turn His back on you. He has set His love on you. He will not let you go. He hears and saves. He's been good to us, hasn't he? And verses 7 through 14 tell us more about his goodness. They show us how believers express gratitude for the ways the Lord has saved them from evil because he has been good to us. Look at verse 7. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. During the storm, the psalm writer seems to have lost his peace of mind. The storm has stretched his faith and he's been tossed around. Now he suffers with a few wounds. Can you relate to this in your walk with God? Maybe great evil was done against you, but you responded in kind at times, right? Afflicting yourself at times. Me too. I can relate. But follow the pattern. Even though he lost his composure and possibly returned evil for evil, as we'll see in a second, 
He lost his composure only temporarily. He directs his own soul back to rest where it belongs in the Lord. Because the Lord himself is the source of true rest for our souls. Doesn't this verse remind you of Jesus' famous words in Matthew 11? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Our souls, believer, are meant to be finding their rest in Jesus, the Lord. Believer, the Lord has dealt bountifully with you, lavishing his extraordinary love and mercy on you through Christ. And now he calls us to come and rest our souls in him again. So have you been wandering, looking for rest elsewhere? Believer, lift up your head. Come back to the Lord. Rest your soul in him today. Return and turn again by confessing your sin and trusting his promise of cleansing again through Christ. As Charles Spurgeon says, please pardon me for the old English, the Lord hath dealt bountifully with us, for he hath given us his Son, and in him he hath given us all things. He hath sent us his Spirit, and by him he conveys to us all spiritual blessings. Let us come back to him who has treated us with such exceeding kindness. Hope your heart is being gladdened as we work through this text. I'm going to give you some more reasons to come back to him as we continue. For example, look at verse 8. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. The salvation this person has experienced is a salvation from the greatest dangers and sorrows of life, summed up as death, tears, and stumbling. As we look back at the Old Testament, we often see the salvation that God brings to his people comes in concrete terms. We see it in concrete terms like the exodus. And yet we know these examples of salvation all point to the greater exodus and salvation that Jesus would bring for his people. A total and complete salvation which includes a transformation of our hearts by his spirit, a resurrection and final deliverance from all evil one day. The evil inside of us and the evil outside of us. All this was accomplished through the Lord Jesus who suffered like no other in our place. And if you've trusted in the risen Jesus to, to save you from sin, you've been saved by the true God to live for him now. And verse 9 refers to that. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. So my deliverance, my salvation, leads me to live a different way. It leads me to live for the Lord who is my salvation. A person's walk is another way the Bible refers to a person's life or their lifestyle. The psalm writer says, I love the Lord. You've saved me and I'm going to live for you now. But as we know, the walk is a lot harder than the talk. To live for Jesus Every moment of every day, walking before him is a task 
that we must admit is probably a lot harder than we realized. It means we're recognizing that he's with us every moment of every day. Which means we're living our very lives in front of Jesus. In front of his eyes. In front of his gaze. Which also means we're constantly being observed by our loving Lord. And in any given moment, the desires, decisions, and choices that we make are either moving away from him or towards him. Because we walk with the Lord, before the Lord. We're either walking closer or nearer to him. We're creating more distance or we're closing the gap and walking closer with him. Think about it. Well, it's springtime now, and since the weather's been nice, my wife and I have picked up walking together again. How many of you like to go for walks? All right, excellent. It's the season to go for walks again. And uh, it's been fun to go for a walk again with my wife, and it's good for our relationship, it's good for our health, and even our stress levels um, most days. Walking and talking with someone um, who loves you and cares for you is a real blessing. And as I got thinking about walking, uh, I started observing the many people that go for walks in my neighborhood. I live very close to a dog park, so um, uh, I've, I've learned a few things about walking. It seems to me that walking uh, is reserved for friends. Maybe there's exceptions, but generally speaking, walking is something you do with a companion, with someone you like. In my neighborhood, I see people walking with their dog. Man's best friend, right? I see couples and friends walking together. I sometimes see families walking, but usually they're, they're off a little, a little faster than a walk. They're trotting. And so far, I've never seen enemies walking together. <laughs> because normally, we walk with people whose company we enjoy, right? We love to share our lives with the people we walk with. It's common sense. Well, this physical analogy also gives us a picture of what walking with God is like. When we walk with someone, we're we're sharing our life with them. The same is true with our God. When we walk with him, he shares himself with us. He shares his very life with us. When we walk with Jesus, when we live with and for Jesus, he shares his life with us, doesn't he? So consider your life and your walk with God. Which way are you going right now? Get specific. Right now, the decisions you're making, are they walking you away from Jesus? Have you stopped walking? Or are you walking closer to him? Over the last week, have you been walking with the Lord or have you stopped? Are you living for him or someone else? Are you going closer and further? uh, Sorry, are you going closer to him or further from him. We live every moment in the presence of the Lord. Do you believe that? Does your life reflect what you believe? If so, your walk will bring an assurance to your heart about what you believe. And that's what we see at verse 10. Here we see how faith and affliction coexist. He says, I believed Even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. Here you have someone who's believing even while suffering. 
So their walk with God emboldens their faith, and though they're suffering, they're believing in and through the suffering. It's a statement of faith here. Not just on paper, in their life. But if we're honest, sometimes in our suffering, we also sin, right? In fact, sometimes the temptation to sin is intensified in our suffering. The test gets harder, and we buckle. Look at verse 11. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. We can at times give in to sinful cynicism under the weight of suffering, and maybe we curse our fellow man with our tongue. It's one example of the ways that we could give in and sin in our suffering. Charles Spurgeon said these sobering words to the suffering believer. Under great, uh, under great suffering, our temptation will be to form hasty judgments of our fellow man. And knowing this to be the case, we ought carefully to watch our spirit and to keep the doors of our lips. Speaking in haste is generally followed by bitter repentance. It is much better to be quiet when our spirit is disturbed and hasty, for it is so much easier to say than to unsay. We may repent of our words, but we cannot so recall them as to undo the mischief they have done. Wow. Parents, be warned. Isn't this true? The rash word is a wrecking ball. Now, with this corrective in mind for our words, we see a positive use for our words in our suffering next in verses 12 to 14. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Now, instead of bickering and sneering at his fellow man, this faithful believer has learned to use his words to speak of the Lord whom he loves in the presence of all his people. Though our relationship with God is certainly personal, it is not meant to be private. When God has saved you, you want to tell of his amazing grace. To those around you, yes. Inside and outside the believing community, yes. But especially to those who, like you, have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You can toast to the Lord and lift the cup of salvation, meaning you can give thanks for the salvation you've experienced, the blessings that have come your way through Christ. Sharing testimonies of the Lord's rescuing, redeeming love is an experience that builds up the whole believing community. Have you noticed that? Sharing testimonies just has a way of breathing life into those around you. With this in mind, let's go to our next point, which is that believers express gratitude for the ways the Lord has, res- has saved them from evil because we belong to him. Verses 15 to 19. Look at verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Here we see the heart of God for his people. He deems them precious. He not only considers them, he prizes them. He treasures them. He he calls them his saints. They're his saints, his holy ones. He made them holy by drawing them near in salvation. And he keeps making them holy by his Holy Spirit. The God who made every single human being in the world and throughout history considers his people, his saints, precious. 
They belong to him. They stand out to him. They are his treasured possessions in the earth and in history. Once again, I've found that Spurgeon captures the pastoral gold here, so I'm going to share it with you. Listen to what he says of verse 15. The the Lord values the lives of his saints and often spares them where others perish. They shall not die prematurely. They shall be immortal till their work is done. And when their time shall come to die, then their deaths shall be precious. The Lord watches over their dying beds, smooths their pillows, sustains their hearts, and receives their souls. Those who are redeemed by precious blood are so dear to God that even their deaths are precious to him. Amen. As many of you know, this week Tim Keller went to be with the Lord. He ran his course and kept the faith and I believe has entered into the joy of his master. And some of us may think of Tim Keller, the great preacher and writer and pastor. We may even put him in a category of a super saint. But no such category exists in God's eyes. This verse tells us that God doesn't play popularity contests with his saints. I'm sure there were hundreds of other saints throughout the world who died this week. Most who never wrote a book or preached to big crowds or had a big following. But according to this verse, God considers each of their lives and deaths as precious, because they're his saints, they're his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. What a marvelous thought. The Lord has made me his own. I was bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ, and I belong to the Lord forevermore. In my life and even in my death, I am his. Look at verses 16 to 19. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Here you can really sense the words piling up in a crescendo of thanksgiving. He's grateful to belong to God. He's grateful to be his servant. He's experienced his saving deeds of breaking the chains and loosing the bonds that held him down. Whether physical or spiritual, we know that God is the one who stopped the storm for this person. And now it's time to respond and thank God for it. He's ready to make vows to God, setting in stone that he will live for him. He's calling all of God's people in the courts of the house of the Lord, the temple, to get closer to the Lord now and sing praises to him. He finishes by saying, Oh, Jerusalem, the believing people, praise the Lord. And church, we can make this personal by joining in and saying, Praise the Lord. About a month ago, I took a week off for vacation. And on my Sunday... My family and I decided to go to a different church, since I don't get to do this very often. And after the service, my family went to a local chip truck to get some lunch. It's called a healthy lunch. (laughs) And uh, while I was waiting in line at this chip truck for my poutine, I heard the staff talking. And the conversation interested me, because one person said, who goes to church? You know, like, kind of, who does that, right? That was the sentiment. 
And then another person answered saying, I used to go to church, but then life happened. And hearing that, I thought, man, I wish I could speak to her about the Lord. I didn't. Maybe one day I'll have an opportunity to. But if I had a minute to talk to her, I'd say this. Thank you for opening up about your life. It sounds like you've been through some hard times. Some storms, maybe. I hope you don't get the impression that church is only for those whose lives are neat and tidy. I want you to know that just because life happened to you, it doesn't mean you need to leave God or his church. The church is a group of people who love God even when life happens. And you're welcome to join us as we do. Well, I hope today you've seen that the Bible is far from a religious textbook. It speaks right into the storms of our life with words of faith, hope, and love. As believers, we know life isn't neat and tidy. We need the Lord to cleanse us from the messes we make and the messes we're in. We need the Lord to calm the storms, whether we're going in, in the middle, or coming out. But I hope that Psalm 116 has given you words to speak and pray by faith when life happens to you. Especially when you consider his intimate care for you on the other side of the storm. I hope your heart's been filled with gratitude for the way the Lord has saved you from the evils and storms of your life. And I hope as you recall the details of your life and the many mercies God has tailored for you, you can say wholeheartedly with the psalm writer here, I love the Lord. So can we close together church by saying that for those of you that believe it, I love the Lord.